0: Well, good morning. morning. I trust everyone here is able to say it is well with my soul. The elders, uh, along with a number of brethren, have been meeting together uh, to uh, explore the implementation of a discipleship program. I say explore the implementation because there's already a discipleship program that has been established, and it was established by the Lord Jesus. It doesn't matter of establishing the plan. It is a matter of implementing in the church and in our own lives. And so we've been looking at this and praying about this, Over a period of time, and they've asked, the elders have asked me to come up and speak about that just a little bit. And there are two other brethren that were actually scheduled for this morning Rick Markley and uh, my grandson Nicholas, and they graciously stepped aside because I was in town. So thank you for that. So we're going to address this issue of a discipleship program. You know, folks, we've been missing it as a church. We've been missing it. We've been sending our kids, our young people, young women and young men, off to Bible colleges. We've been sending them off to special discipleship programs, some even to seminaries. The responsibility for all that they get in the Bible college or in a discipleship, specific discipleship program, is the responsibility of the church. And the Lord himself so established it. And so what I'd like to do this morning is not talk about implementing a discipleship program. I'll save that for tonight, how we can get together and implement the program that has already been set forth by the Lord. What I'd like to do this morning is look at how the Lord has established that program, discipleship, and how it was implemented in the early church so it would give us some idea of how we ought to act today. Turn with me, if you would, to a familiar portion, the very last chapter of the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, and we'll begin reading with verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, that is, to the eleven, if you Go down to verse 16. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples, or if you have the King James, and teach all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Here is not a request, but a command from the Lord. Just prior to his ascension, he meets up with 11 of his disciples, and he brings forth a proclamation here a commission not just to those 11, but to the church at large and everyone individually in the church. Now, when we read about the Great Commission, what normally comes to mind is two things primarily. One is, well, that's wonderful. Uh, you're called to go out into the all, among all the nations into the world, well, that's, um, that's good, but that's not for me. I'm not a pioneer missionary. That's for pioneer missionaries, and if you're speaking of that being a factor here within the country, close by, well, doesn't God have evangelists for that sort of thing? The commandment is, go ye, go you. To each one of us, we are to go forth. Now, let me just read one more verse in conjunction with this particular uh, portion, uh, chapter 16 and verse 15 of Mark. It's exactly the same incident, but seen through the eyes of, uh, uh, of Mark. Chapter 16 and verse 15. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We didn't read about the presentation of the gospel directly. It's obviously insinuated in in, uh, Matthew. But here, that same incident, go and preach the gospel. The call is to every one of us. Not a single one of us has an excuse. Now, this particular portion, let me just break it down for you. It's a threefold work that's entrusted to the church. The first part is the ingathering. Go into the world. The second is enlightenment. Teach them all things that I have commanded you. And then the third is incitement to holiness, discipleship. You start out there and you bring them to the Lord as Lord. And encapsulated, or perhaps a parenthesis around that, are these. Um, encouragements. Verse uh, 18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, so go. Now, the Lord always had authority, but here he's speaking as the, the head of a new creation. And I have authority both in heaven and on earth. Pretty soon I'm going to be in heaven, but I still have authority on earth. And the expression of that authority is through, my, uh, through the instrument of my body, the believers. It's expressed in them. And then he closes the section with these words. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You think this this commandment that he set before us, this great commission that he set before us, that he's asking to to accomplish it in our own power? No, he says, I've got all the power. Does he just given it to us and said, here, you take it on, I'm in heaven? he says, I'm with you always. I'm with you always. And so the first call is, in this commission, is evangelization. Go, go, the commission, go ye. Now I see some truly gray hair out here, some heads with some hoary, colors, hoary heads, gray. Can, I'm speaking right <laughs> uh, You say, me? I'm supposed to go? I live at Western Assembly's home. I can barely make it to the chapel. And you're telling me I've got to go? No, I'm not telling you that. The Lord's telling you that. <laughs> what is he saying? He's saying that the the efforts in the assembly are to be evangelistic efforts. Not every single one is going to be the feet that go out there, but there ought to be prayer. And there ought to be, as people are brought in, those that are interested in the well-being of new souls that come in, and the care, the ongoing care, the opening of homes, the invitations, the shaking of hand to make people well. It's a body endeavor, it's body dynamics that is in view here. There was a dear sister, Um, Mabel Richards, at the home many years ago. Some of you may remember her. Terrible, terrible arthritis in her body. She couldn't sleep on the bed. She slept in a big lounge chair. Spent most of the time in that big lounge chair. I'd knock on the door, be it morning or evening. She'd come in. I'd open the door and go in. A big beaming smile. Oh, Al, I've been praying for you. I've been praying for you. Do you think that matters? To go before the throne of grace praying for you. Everyone here is capable of prayer. Not everyone here is capable of walking out and knocking on doors. But it ought to be a body endeavor. Go, every single one. The purpose to make disciples. This is an interesting uh, word here. Go therefore and make disciples. If you have the King James, as I said, it says teach teach. It's not the real word that's used. It's rather an odd word. It's really not used for teaching anywhere else, for the word teach or teaching anywhere else in the Bible, just there. And the the King James, the authorized version, brings teach. Most of the other versions say make disciples. Neither one of them is fully accurate. The idea of that word is that go and make pupils who will then not metamorphose, but potentially become disciples. For not every pupil of the Lord becomes a disciple. Every disciple is a Christian. But not every Christian is a disciple, as we'll see. And so it is that go and make pupils. Pupils need care. They are, they are under the tutelage of another. And then come alongside of them and tutor them. And bring them along so that, in fact, perhaps you can bring them to a discipleship. The great purpose of the church is not merely to bring souls, new souls, into amends. Most of the assemblies that I've worked with, and others, I work with a little Baptist church up in Oregon um, People are coming in constantly and people are leaving. There are no new souls. It's just believers changing the address. Something offended them here, so they go now to this church. The lifeblood of the church is new believers coming in. You know, folks were one generation from extinction. Now we're not going, there's not going to be an exception because the Lord said, I will build my church. But really, are we reproducing? And so there's the issue of evangelism here to come and make disciples, to transition the pupil to a disciple. The means, as we read in, in uh, Mark, is by way of the gospel. The power of the gospel, the very basics of the gospel presented to the unsaved. You know, I've said it myself, folks. These folks up here in, in the upper echelons of of Claremont, you know, they're kind of hard to get to. Right, they're self-satisfied where they live. Well. Uh, do you think that's not true in many other places and yet the Lord was able to break through all of that? Are we convinced about the message? We may not be quite as convincing as we should because we're not convinced that there is a power in the gospel. The sphere all nations, all nations. You say, well, I told you that, I told you. It's that, that pioneer evangelist missionary that goes out there. Well, the Lord says, here, here's your world, start here. This is our world right here, start here and then go out there. You know, <coughs> the saints in Jerusalem in the 60 days after the Lord's resurrection, 60 days, there were probably fifteen to 20,000 people saved. There was a few here and there were 3,000 there and 5,000 there and so on. Within 60 days, you say, well, that's a special occasion. Well, yes, a special occasion, no different than today, I'm sorry. And they were quite comfortable. Here you go. The first mega church right there in Jerusalem. And they were quite comfortable. And the Lord said, well, you, you, the nations, you know. How about the nations? How about the rest? Well, they were quite com- It's comfortable, isn't it? To come here on a Sunday to rub shoulders with brothers and sisters who are of like mind. who, you know, uh, they're not, you know, kind of a different culture or a different uh, background. We've, we're comfortable with each other and it's uncomfortable to go out there. Well, the Lord dealt with them in that particular instance. Turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter eight. Take, let's take a look at the early church and what went on. Acts chapter eight. Acts chapter 8. Let me just read a full little section here. This is right after, of course, Stephen is martyred. Verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 8. Now Saul was consenting to his death, that's to um, Stephen's death. At that time a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea, regions of Judea and Samaria. Except the apostles and the devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentations over him. For Saul, or as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragged off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere, preaching the word." That word scattered is an interesting word. It isn't haphazard scattering. It is the scattering that a farmer does with his seed. It's systematic and purposeful. And here it is. Who's the instrument here that the Lord uses for the scattering of the saints? so that they can reproduce Saul, Saul of Tarsus. And they said, well, therefore, we are persecuted, so therefore, let's go and preach Christ. And they were scattered. That is, that they were sown. And if you look through the book of Acts, how they went out, they went out to metropolitan areas, areas where there were large uh, concentration of people. And then if there was a synagogue, synagogue there, they would go to the synagogue. And if there was no synagogue, they went to um, the monotheists closest one to it. You know, I don't have to talk about multiple gods and just adding another god there. I'll talk to them about one god. And if that didn't work, well, then look, uh, Mars Hill, look at those philosophers up there. At least they're asking the right questions. Let's go and talk to them. It was planned out, and God took these men and women. As seeds, he scattered them, and he sowed them in those regions so that they could reproduce what? One? For one? No. One for a hundred. You see, we have small visions. We talk about we're happy. If one soul is saved, well, so is heaven. But the mandate is to go out, and time is short, to go out and make disciples, go out with the word of God. If I plant, if a farmer plants one little corn into the ground and just looks for a return of one, he's not going to farm for very long. There are some fellows here that like to go fishing, others fellow other fellows that like to go into the fishing boats to eat sandwiches, but uh, I don't know who that would be. But, and you're happy, aren't you? When you catch one or two fish, maybe you'll go in another month. Scott goes out another month, and he's happy if he brings a couple of fish back in. Well, that's great for sports fishing. It's terrible (laughs) if you're a commercial fisherman. You've lost it, haven't you? God wants us to be farmers and commercial fishermen. We think small thoughts, that's a problem. So we ought to plan out an avenue of attack to go and win our world for the Lord. We could go on, I'd be running out of time, but we we see this whole principle, multiplication, the exponential growth within the church as these brethren and sisters went out. The second area of work that the Lord has uh, given us is that work of spiritual enlightenment. Teach, that's what he said, go and teach. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe. Now the baptism that is spoken of there is, of course, water baptism. Let me just step back, or step back a little bit. All that is saying is that I am declaring that I indeed have received the gospel. I have received that great message that Christ died for me that Christ dealt with the issue of my sin, and now I am coming alongside of him and declaring to the world that I'm his. The end product there. But then we're supposed to go out and teach. Teach what? The pupil, you come alongside and you bring him alongside We could look at uh, scriptures throughout. I've just picked out a few. For instance, there is the teaching of behavior. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 3, the teaching of behavior. The women were supposed to, the older women were supposed to go and help the younger women in their home lives. And it says they are teachers of good things. There are some older women here that have been through uh, child-rearing years and a lot of issues in their life. Younger women can draw on that. Some of the older women can go out and be of help to them. Teaching, of course, it isn't just to, to that. It's other behavior as well. There's a teaching of the Word. Paul, in speaking to Timothy, and the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others. This assembly, local church, is a school. If you go through all of the different names for a church in the, or an assembly in the, in the New Testament... A hospital, a school, a garden, a field, a bride, a building, a temple, and so on. It's a school, too. And we're to school those that are here into the fullness of the faith, the Word of God. Teach the Word of God. Pour the Word of God in them so that they're able to go out and teach faithful men as well and service, Ephesians chapter four. Don't turn there, but Ephesians chapter four. We find five men presented there for us, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. The apostle and the prophet are foundational gifts to the church. These are gifts not given by the Spirit of God, as in 1 Corinthians 12 or Romans chapter 12, These are gifts of men, not of abilities, given by the Lord himself, the Lord Jesus himself, to the church. And what's their great responsibility? The evangelist and the pastor and the teacher. They're to go out and teach others to do that specific work. The evangelist is to go out and help everyone else to be a true witness unto the Lord. We're all called to be witnesses. The pastor, I find that here's a difficult one. The pastor is to bring along those whom the Spirit of God has drawn out into a heart of love for the people, and they are to Recognize that, as are the people in themselves, these young men or older, that they are doing or beginning to do the work and to take them in and progressively help them along the way in that. One doesn't become all of a sudden, uh, one isn't just simply stricken by the spirit of God to be an elder and boom, that's it. There are practical aspects. The Lord deals through the spirit with the heart of the man. And then he deals with the field for that man, the local assembly. And he deals with that aspect of his calling, the souls of men. That's what the shepherd cares for. And the under shepherds take in and lead on these young men and bring them on in the full fruition of their responsibility. I'm out of time, but I'm going to, almost out of time, but I'm going to take a little time here. Brethren, we don't, and sisters, we don't have a choice in selecting elders. It's the spirit of God that chooses the elders. None of us have the right to say that man is not an elder unless they're disqualified by the word of God. You may think that you get to choose a president or not. Perhaps you haven't voted for him. You can't say that he's not your president. He's your president. You had no choice in regards to your parents and you have no choice in regards to elders or to recognize them if they meet the qualifications, they have the heart, they're doing the work. And to think that there are these divisions sometimes in an assembly, this bickering, well, I don't know about him. You know why the Lord has plurality of elders? Because I may go to Dave and feel comfortable with him, but not so comfortable with Rod. And there are others that are more comfortable with Rod than they are with Dave. And that they guard each other, and that there's provision for every sheep and those that pastor over them. We need to be careful in that. And then teachers... You know, every single Christian ought to be a student of the Bible. Not everyone is a scholar, but everyone is a student. And so those that are teachers. Now, I know that Ephesians chapter 4 speaks to the church, uh, to the larger aspect of the church, the universal church, but it applies in the local assembly. It applies in the local assembly, dear saints. Do you see the body dynamics here? We're here for each other to accomplish that to which the Lord has called us. And then finally, in the arena of discipleship, is to lead to the experiential knowledge, to teach to the point where the where the believer comes to experiential knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I count, Paul could say, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection the Great Commission isn't simply to go out and bring in souls as wonderful and as great as that is. It is take on the responsibility of teaching them, of bringing them up in the faith, and then leading them on to a point of discipleship. Now, I said not every Christian is a disciple. These aren't my words, but the words of the Lord himself. Turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, let me read a few verses here, if I may, verse, uh, well, let's begin with verse 25, now, great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his Life also, he cannot be my disciple, cannot be my disciple. And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build the tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish all. whosoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my, my disciple. These are difficult words, aren't they? True discipleship. True discipleship. I wish I had a, an easy definition of what a disciple is. I don't. I can just give you some points of what I think discipleship is, or true discipleship is. It is one who loves the Lord supremely. It is one who, set, who rests in his sacrifice. It is one who follows him obediently. And above all, it is one who displays these factors so that I can identify them and you can identify it in them. A disciple. There are three exclusions that are given here. The first one is, as I said, you cannot be my disciples if you don't hate your father and your mother and so on and so forth. Well that word, hate, I have to be careful with that. It's a, a comparative word. It's not used here in the way that we use the word today to hate. Really the word suggests to love less. To love less. If anyone comes to me and does not love less his father and mother and wife and children and so on and so forth and himself also cannot be my disciple. You see the Lord Jesus expects preeminence in our lives, first place. I wish we had the time to go to the second chapter of the book of Revelation. I'll leave that for your own time. And there the Lord is speaking to the first of the seven churches, the book of Ephesus. And he brings forth this litany of things that he approves of them. We would be put to shame if we were compared to that list. But the final element, he says, is you're a fallen church because you have lost your first love? No, because you have left your first love. Left your first love. The Great Commission is to build disciples where the Lord Jesus Christ is preeminent in the life of the believer. You left, you lost, uh, you left your first love. Again, for the sake of time, it, it is one who also avoids the cross. What does the cross mean here? Whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What is the cross? Well, in relationship to the believer, turn with me. uh, I'm going to take the time. Romans chapter 6, if you would, please. Romans chapter 6. In relationship to the believers, we need to understand that we are dead unto sin. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only one that could die for our sins, but at that cross he also died unto our sins, unto sin. And we are included in that. We, our sins, not only were dealt with by the Lord Jesus in a judicial way, but we were made dead unto sin there. And we partook of that in the death of Christ. What it says, verse um, 2 of chapter 6 of Romans, certainly not... Uh, well, let me go to verse 5, For uh, verse 1, continuity. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? It was taken care of at the cross. And so in relationship to the believer, it's the issue of sin having been taken care of. Now drop on down. Just a a little bit here. Hmm. Verse six. Again, I'm just going to uh, jump right in the middle of a statement here. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. There it is. When the Lord was on the cross, I was on the cross. That's the way God sees it. I was crucified on that cross as well. The flesh, the old man. So not only is the issue of sin not having now any dominion over me, or shouldn't have dominion over me, the sin issue, but also this old man shouldn't have dominion over me. You say, well, gosh, every time I get out of bed, I'm already in trouble. You see, judicially, that old man is dead. Dead. Let's see here. Verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus alone. Our Lord, yes, that old man is going to come in. Judicially, he's already dead. But it's like that man that's in prison for murder. He's been found guilty. He's been condemned to death. And yet he's walking. And what is that call that they make, the guards make? Walking dead man. We have to recognize that there's a dead man within us. Walking dead man. And we are to reckon that to be the fact. God has taken care of that in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am dead. I am crucified. And sin has no dominion. I am dead unto sin as well. So the issue regarding self, there's also, if we go into the book of Galatians, and I'm out of time. that. We are dead unto the world, and that speaks of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, His cross there. We glory in His cross, not in the world. Finally, the, the, the last element of this, uh, this particular segment, uh, chapter 14 of Luke. Let me go back there again. this is a difficult one for me and i'm I, i'm not going to take up too much of your time here uh, it's the issue of now being presented with building for god or warfare with god and the the big requirement here is um, that we give up everything Or else, while others are still a great way off, he sends a delegation as condition of peace. So likewise, whosoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciples. What does that mean? Does that mean that discipleship is only for a certain segment of people that have nothing and have gone out into the field, given themselves up completely? No, he says, look, what do you have to build with? What do you have to warfare with? Well, I've got a little bit of Bible knowledge. I have a little bit of ability in working with people. What is it that you have? Take it all and pile it up. Pile it up. And he says, likewise, so likewise, whosoever does not forsake all that he has, cannot be my disciple. You see the power to build and the power to warfare for God is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Not my ability, his ability. Not my power, his power. And if I'm trying to do it in my power, in my ability, my little knowledge of the word of God, my willingness to go out there, then I'm doomed to failure. Every believer is called to be a disciple, although sadly not every believer is. These three elements, these three exclusions to discipleship. Dear Saints, time is well gone. I would ask you to consider where you are individually, where I am individually, where are we as a church? as an assembly of God's people. Are we satisfied with that? And if not, will we implement what God has called us to? Tonight, we'll take a little look of some of the elements that we can perhaps apply so that we indeed can implement the Great Commission in our own individual lives and corporately, shall we pray. Our Father, we thank thee for thy grace and kindness. We thank thee, Father, for the Lord Jesus Christ and his love for us. We thank thee that indeed it is by virtue of his death that we have been brought into the family of God and into thy very presence. How we thank thee, O blessed Father, for that. We know, O blessed Father, that for us, thy call is much greater, as great as salvation is, and that is to learn of thee, to have that fellowship moment by moment with our Lord. to be a follower of the Lord Jesus closely, an example to those that are following us. Be a follower of me, even as I am of Christ Jesus. We ask, Father, for strength. We know the provision of the, the power of our blessed Savior is there, and we recognize in all of this his very presence, encourage us, oh gracious Father, give us the pathway, open the doors, so that we, Father, might make a difference in the power of the Spirit of God here where we are. In the blessed name of our Savior we pray, amen.